Um, I'm going to go a little bit against what I guess normal hermeneutics would suggest. And I'm not going to have like one thought and all these different scriptures. I was reading through Luke chapter 1 and I don't know, just some different thoughts came to my mind. And I wanted to share that with you guys, um, if that's okay. So a little bit of background on... It's inspired, okay. A little background on what's going on here. Um, the beginning of the gospel, we know there, we're coming out of 400 years of silence. And a lot has changed since, since the end of the Old Testament to beginning here. Um, for one, Alexander the Great came in, he defeated Darius in the, in the Persian Empire, and he brought in a new culture. So whenever we read the New Testament, we see a very Hellenistic culture, and it came because, um, because of Alexander bringing his culture in. It brought uh, language, culture, a different style of dress, philosophy. Um, the philosophical ideals brought the Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? So now we have these different divisions because it was bred out of these different philosophical ideas and um, that went on for a couple hundred years, and then the Maccabees revolted, and, and around 160, they expelled the Greeks from the Holy Land. And there was relative freedom, although there was infighting, and there was you know, uh, bickering going on between local leaders. And then in 37, Herod invited the Romans in to help put down another opposing ruler, thus making Herod the... The, um, the client king under Rome. And so when we open up here in the book of Luke, we're opening up to, to a, a guy who, Zechariah, who was born in a relatively free nation. He was born, again, relative, right? Um, they had their infighting, but, but relatively free. And he was alive when, when Rome marched in. And what I want to do is I want to take uh, Luke 1, 5 through 25, just these few verses, and I just want to glean a few things from them and, and challenge us with a few questions. Not questions we have to answer tonight, but questions hopefully you'll go home and, and meditate on and think on. So um, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments, statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. I'm going to stop there. This is the first thing. They were righteous before God, but they had no children. It's an interesting thing to say they were right before God. They, they were doing everything right. And then the next verse to say, but they had no children. There was something missing. There was something missing from their life. And this is really the first point, um, is that there's no promise of a better life if I do the right thing. There's no promise that I won't have heartache. There's no promise that I won't, that I won't be hurt. There's no promise that I won't be without, that I won't go without. Just because I live what I, what, I, what I consider to be a good life. Um, Colossians 3.3 3 says that my life is hidden with Christ. 
right? What I, what I see in front of me doesn't have to represent the reality. You know what's interesting is these guys are very similar to Abraham and Sarah, and we talked about them a few weeks ago. Um, and so my standing with God is not reflective of my standing in the flesh. Um, I was talking to Tony today. He actually said something really cool. Tony said, like, the, the weather out here doesn't always, isn't always the same as the weather in here. I just thought that was really cool. Like, man, you know, sometimes the world is just going on, you know, I'm doing all the right things. My heart is right, and the world's just falling apart around me. And sometimes that's just the way it is. And I thought about that for a little while. And so I think three things, and not exclusively, but um, if my life, if I'm doing all the right things and my life still doesn't feel right, my life still doesn't seem like it's going the way I think, it could be a couple things. One, God be, could be trying to get my attention. I don't know about y'all. God's gotten my attention a few times. Um, Two, God may just not want that thing for me. I may be asking for something that's wholly right, and there's nothing wrong with me having this thing. God may just say no. And then three, he may be preparing to glorify himself. You remember the story of the blind man? And they said, Jesus, who sinned that he was born blind? And they said, nobody. Nobody sinned. He was born blind so so that... God will be glorified so that I'll be glorified. That's why he was born blind. So sometimes, as is the case here, God's just postponing something so that his glory is seen. And so the first question is this. Is my relationship with God dependent on my circumstances around me? Is my relationship with God dependent on my, on my life circumstances? I'm going to go on. Uh, Verse 8, it says, Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And this is the second thing. The second thing is that the void in his life, but he was childless, but they had no children, that void in his life didn't prevent him from doing what God called him to do. He could have just like checked out. God, where were you when I needed a child? Where were you when we were asking for something that you said is a blessing? It's a blessing for me to have a child. Where were you when I was asking? And now I'm an old man. My wife is barren. There's no more hope. But look what he's doing. He's on duty at the temple. He's serving God in what God called him to do. It's so easy to look at, to look at what's going on around us and just... You know what? God's not here. God, does, God hasn't blessed me. And so why would I give to God when he hasn't given to me? And if I'm called to do something, if we're called to do something, if we're called to, to go somewhere, to talk to somebody, we can't let the world determine that, that we're not going to do that thing. We can't let the world say, you know, defeat us. We're more than conquerors in Christ. The victory is ours. Not based on what the world sees, but based on what God has declared before time began. It's Christ. It's not me. It's Christ. My life can look completely wretched, but my life is hidden with Christ in eternity. So the second thing we glean is that, is that our life circumstances aren't dependent or, or don't inhibit us from doing what God has called us to do. And the question is, is have I allowed myself to be taken out of the fight? 
Have I allowed myself to be taken out because my life doesn't look the way it's supposed to look? You know, growing up in, a, in, in an extremely abusive home, my life didn't look the way I thought it would look. At 15 years old, just being the most wretched kid you could imagine, my life didn't look the way I thought it would look. And I was just in, in, in such a dark place, suicidal, depressed. I was a kid that was addicted to drugs. I was introduced to, to some of the worst things you could imagine at a really young age. And you know what? God found me there. That's where God stepped in. My life didn't look the way I thought it should. No dad. Mom was abusive. That's where God stepped in. That's where Christ stepped into my life. Um, I'm going to keep going here. Let's see. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell on him. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. I love this. I love this verse. I was, I was actually listening um, just to my Bible app when I was driving to Midland the other day and I, and I heard that. It just dawned on me because, again, we just talked about this with Abraham and Sarah. It's physically, it's medically impossible for you to have children. You're too old, your wife is barren. You're too old, your wife is barren. Abraham believed and it was counted as righteousness. Not only did Zechariah, like, he's not even, not even that he's believing yet, he's asking God for the impossible. He's asking God to do something that medically he, it shouldn't be done. My wife is barren and we're old. We shouldn't have a child. We shouldn't have a child. And there's so much. Like, this is such a power-packed little set of verses. I love this. Um, he's praying for the impossible. We just, we talked as, whenever we were talking about this, Rome's marched in. His nation is divided. His nation's in an, under an oppressive rule. There's so many bigger things he could be praying for. And I'm sure he was. But, but this is the prayer that, that God is, like, coming to answer. Because you know what? If God made Rome leave and made Israel this perfect state, it wouldn't be the thing that the, the, that the world needed. Because the world needed John to come in. And this is what I'm going to say is we can feel selfish sometimes when we're praying for, for God to bless us. But how do we know that that blessing may not be the thing that ushers in something amazing? Christ is ushered in because Zechariah is praying for something that shouldn't be possible. And because of that, here comes this guy. We were talking earlier. Um, you know, the, the, the camel hair and eating locusts and living out in the wilderness. And he's going to usher in Christ. He's going to be the, the voice in the wilderness crying out, preparing the way. In Mark 10, 27, Luke 1, 37, Luke 18, 27, all of them say the same thing. With God, nothing is impossible. And, and the third question is this. Am I calling on God? Am I praying to God for the impossible things? Not knowing that it may not be as, as selfish as it may feel. Zechariah, you know, again, we can look at that and say, man, it's a selfish prayer, man. Your nation's in trouble. You should be praying for bigger things. He's praying for a son. You know what? God says that's a blessed thing to have a child. 
And that's what he's praying for. And then I'm going to go on here, 18 through 20. Is that right? Mm, Yep. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I love that. I am Gabriel. I love, we were talking about this um, several months back with some guys up in uh, Pennsylvania. It's like sometimes the angels sound like they're from the Northeast. Like, no, they're, just, they're just like blunt, straightforward. Like, like when Joshua's like, are you from here? No, I am for the Lord. You know, and here, like, I am Gabriel. Just very blunt, very straightforward. Said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled. Gabriel or, or Zechariah is praying for the impossible, and then whenever it comes, he's like, I don't know. I mean, I mean, just, just picture this, right? Like you're in the holy place, somebody appears to you, and it's, uh, I don't know. Are you, how, do I, how do I know this is going to happen? And this is the fourth thing that we glean from this, is that even though Zechariah doubted and he was made silent, the promise wasn't removed. Gabriel didn't say, because you've doubted me, I'm going to take the promise and I'll go find somebody that will believe me. He didn't take the promise away. And you know what? Like, we can doubt God. We can, we can get in these places of utter fear and anxiety and feel like we've, we've gone too far, I've said too much, I've done too much, and feel like our, the promises of God are going to be taken from us, but the promises of God are irrevocable. The promises of God are irrevocable. Um, and what do I mean by the promises of God? I don't mean, you know, God told me I was going to have a wife. That's not what I mean. I, I, I don't discount anybody's like personal communication with God. I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to say is there are universal promises that God gave us here. In Deuteronomy 31, 8, and then it's repeated in Hebrews 13, 5, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That promise is irrevocable. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You can't go far enough. I, I, used, to, I used to disciple a young man, and, and, and I would tell him, you know, he would, he would always just be, he lived in this perpetual state of shame. And when we run from God, it's like we're on a treadmill. Because we're never positionally getting away from God. We can't because he will never leave you nor forsake you. And the moment you stop running, you're right there. You cannot get away from the promises of God. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary. And what? I'll give you rest. It's irrevocable. Jesus promises that he will give you rest. You know, we live in a society that is like, go, 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 and there's never a break. But spiritually, we can be on break because he says he'll give us rest. There's a verse, I I can't even, uh, somebody can shout it out if they remember it. Um, Labor to enter into his rest. You know what I'm talking about? Labor, what is it? Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. Labor to enter into his rest. Like, I think you may have spoken on that a while back. And it's just, I was, and it hit me because it's like, 
wow, like that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. It's not because when I'm, when I, when my labor isn't of my flesh, it's, a, it's of my, my spirit, it's, it's in my prayers, it's in my, my commitment to God, my, submit, my submitting to Christ. And in that, I'm entering into a rest that's irrevocable. The world can't take that away. Becca said it just a minute ago. She's, you know, Bud just got laid off from his unpaid job, and she's like, whatever. Like, at this point, with this year, I'm just like, whatever. She has a peace that surpasses the carnal idea of what peace should be because she knows that she has a God that's bigger than her biggest problems. I love that. James 1.9 says he's faithful to forgive. That promise is irrevocable. That promise is irrevocable. You think you've gone too far? You think you've said too much? That promise is irrevocable. You haven't. You can't. He is faithful. He is faithful. John 3.36 says, whoever believes has eternal life. That's irrevocable. I can't do anything to take that away. I can't. I can't do enough to lose that. If I believe in Christ, if my heart is set on Christ, if, if I've given my life at Calvary, I can't, I, can't, I can't make God revoke that. John 8, 36 says this. He says, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. That's a promise of God. If he has set you free, you're free indeed. And what I love about that verse is there's two different words for free that are used there. And so if you, if you translate it like this, it would say, if the sun takes off your shackles, takes you out of prison, unlocks the cage, you're made to be a citizen. One freedom is physical freeing. The other freedom is a political freedom as if you're now made a citizen. You're not just... You're not just like a servant. Like, you remember the, the prodigal son? He comes home and, and he's like, maybe, just, maybe I could just be a servant. And what did the dad say? He said, he said, no. Put a coat on him. Put a ring on him. Kill the fatted calf. Because he's, a, he's my son. I'm not going to be a servant. We're, not, we're servants, but we're fellow heirs with Christ. Amen? The Lord will be with you wherever you go, Joshua 1.9. The Lord will be with you wherever you go. That promise, that promise is irrevocable. Just like Deuteronomy 31.8, he will never leave you. Wherever I go, he will be with me. You want to walk away from God? You want to run away from God? You, we may have family members that are just walking down these dark paths. But, but man, I just, I know like, man, he used to be so on fire for God. God's still with him. Because you can't get away from him. We're so, you know, we think like, oh, God is so ashamed of me. God's so ashamed of what I've done. Are you washed in the blood? Or am I, do I believe in the promises of God that they're irrevocable? That no matter what I do, no matter how far away I run, no matter, no matter where I go, his call on my life is without repentance? Come on. I believe it is. And I think that God's not sorry that he created me. God's not sorry when I make my mistakes. He calls me back and he, and he puts me right back in the fight. Get right back out on the front lines because your family needs you. Your community needs you. Maybe another part of the world needs you, but you are needed in this fight. We're a church. And, and how, can, how can the body, say, how can the arm say to the leg, I don't need you or the, or the hand to the foot? Or the, 
we're all a part of this great community that's called the church. And so the last question is, do I trust God's promises? Do I trust that God's promises are irrevocable? Do I believe that? Do I, do I trust God in that? And it all culminates at the cross. All of this culminates at the cross. My life may not look the way I think it should look. I'm willing to bet whenever Paul was writing and saying, like, I count it, or, you know, he's writing, he's talking about the joy, and he's in a jail cell. I'm sure his life didn't look the way he thought it would look. But he didn't stop it. He, it, he didn't allow that to stop him from doing what God called him to do. And he was asking for impossible things. You know, for Paul, like, like traveling the way he did and wanting to go the places he was wanting to go, like there's no way. Like how am I going to get there when I'm in jail? But I want to go to that place. He's asking, God, he's asking God for things that don't seem logical to him because he knew that the promises of God were irrevocable. And I just challenge us in this. Really set our mind on like what God has called me to do. Look at my life. I can look at my life and I can admit that it's not where I, where I thought it would be. But I don't have to let that take me out of the fight. And I can, I can put my trust in God for impossible things. And I can trust his promises. Amen? Yeah. That's, that's all I had. Um,